You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. Hamish, what's going on, my friend? What's going on? Not much. Got a haircut this week. I got my uh, six-monthly uh, haircut, so I, I uh, made... <laughs> I left... Did it, can you do a little turn? I didn't even notice. Can you do a little turn? Oh, yeah. very neat and tidy. Very neat and tidy. Yeah, it looks pretty similar. Put it's a little just, behind the ears. Yeah, you, that, that's actually true. YouTube doesn't really see too much of it anyway, because I, I always tuck it away. Um, so it looks kind of similar, but, mm. but yeah, I, um, I don't like it. It's quite cut. interesting because we don't really do any like vlogging or anything. Yeah. We're just kind of talking to camera. YouTube only ever sees us f- just straight front on. Yeah. So it's like the back of our head, like how we move, like all of that stuff that definitely yeah. makes up the appearance of a person. Yeah. People just have not. You'd hope that that angle is good if you're a YouTuber. Like hopefully <laughs> just looking dead on down the camera. Well, and that's, <laughs> you look presentable. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the funny thing as well, because the different, depending on what lenses you're using and the, the, the focal length on the, on the lens, you will, you could look very differently on camera to what you do in real that's life. Good point. Um, I'm, I'm sure some people have seen kind of those side by sides of different focal lengths and like how, you know, it captures kind of more of your face. Um, so how like kind of thin or, or, or wide your face looks, it depends on the length of the, the, what kind of lens you're using. Um, so yeah, you mm. could look so di- like, I actually don't, I actually haven't really thought about it. I think I look kind of similar to how I, the, what I look like on camera, but maybe it's completely yeah, different. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it, it is interesting. What, when people recognize you in public, what, what do they say? Normally like to me, when somebody recognizes me, they're like, oh, I thought you'd be shorter in person. Yeah. They say, um. <laughs> They say, wow, the camera does add 10 pounds. No, they don't say that. <laughs> yeah, I always get um, I always get the height one as well. I think for some reason people think, maybe it's because when you watch YouTube, you're always like looking down into the screen. You just have this immediate like subconscious idea that the person is maybe. shorter than you. I don't know. Yeah. How tall are you in centimeters? Uh, 183. I'm, I'm six foot. 183. Yeah. What are you, what are yeah. you, six okay. foot one and or two I'm or something? I'm 190. So I think that's six. Oh, six three. Two or something? Six three? Six three. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> that is, I get that all the time though when you meet people and they're like, oh, you're a lot taller than what I thought you'd be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah anyway. it's funny. Funny. There we go. Um, what are we talking about today, Hamish? We are talking about Alphabet's earnings. I'll run us through that. Um, Google launching a chat GPT competitor. Mm. Um, RBA rate hike decision. We'll talk about that. Disney earnings. That will be interesting. I'll, I don't, I haven't followed because that just came out, didn't it? Like last Ye- night, didn't it? That, yeah, just came like, out about an hour ago from when we were recording this. So I oh, literally just finished oh, okay. listening to the conference call. So yeah, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about with that one, I reckon. Right. And then if we've got time, we'll talk about this US jobs report stuff as well. Um, so there is a lot to talk about. I'm interested to get into some of these earnings. So shall we? Uh, shall we jump into it? 
Yeah. So today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker through ShareSite, super easy, uh, or you can do it one by one or downloading your trades uh, using Excel. Uh, whichever way you do it, it'll import all of your trades. And once you do that, it will track the gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do those calculations for you. Uh, currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. Uh, and then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, and more. At the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That site spelled S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So to use that link, you can sign up to a free plan and track up to 10 holdings for as long as you want. Uh, or you can also use that link to sign up to a premium plan for more features and you'll get four months off an annual subscription uh, if you do so. And as always, thanks to everyone who has used that link when they're signing up to ShareSite and is supporting the podcast. Also, one thing I did want to say, I did want to mention this before we got started, um, is that you know how last week we were talking about meta, we were talking about severance and whatnot? Um, yes. Max actually sent us in a comment uh, for the from the last episode saying, severance depends on how long you have worked at the company and what your salary was. It's not uncommon to get three or four weeks per year of service. So if you worked for 15 years, you might get 45 or 52 weeks of severance. Um, and that's wow. one year's salary. So that right. I didn't know that that's how it works. So that's that makes a lot of sense as to why they let go. I don't know, however many 11, employees. Eleven thousand like was recorded. Yeah, yeah. But it seemed like one year, and it was several billion. It was a couple of billion dollars, I think, that it cost them. But when you break that down, that makes a lot more sense. While the why the per employee statistic was so high. So thank you for letting us know about that, Max. Much appreciated. Mm. Um, yep. With that said, do you want to talk? Uh, we're talking meta last week. Should we talk about Alphabet? Yeah, take us through Google. Yeah, take us through Alphabet. How are they okay. doing? Because meta last week, for for context, there wasn't much growth um, on, on their business. Mm. They had the kind of the FX impacts, um, and they're still kind of dealing with yes. this shift towards uh, toward towards reels away from from uh, feed and stories. So that's kind of hurting their cost per adv- advertisement. And then they've got, of course got their metaverse investment. So how do, let's put that in context with. Um, how Google is doing, at least on the you know advertising front, comparatively. Yes. So Google uh, reported Q4 and full-year results. So we'll just go through Q4 at the start. So their revenue was $76 billion, which was only up 1% year over year, although up 7% on a constant currency basis. So you can see there's that impact, again, of the strong US dollar. Yeah. Um, for those, I will go through down, uh, down through their revenue segments. For those that don't know um, how they break it down, so they've got Google Search and other, they've got then YouTube ads, then they've got their Google Network, they've got uh, Google Other, and then Google Cloud and other bets. So for those that don't know, Google Search and other is like Google Ads um, and uh, other Google owned uh, and operated properties like Gmail, Google Maps, and Google Play. So advertising related to those things. Uh, Google other revenues uh, consists of things like Google Play, or obviously YouTube ads, it's just YouTube ads. Google Network is all the third parties that use uh, Google ads on their websites. And then uh, Google Other consists of Google Play, which includes sales of apps and in-app purchases. It includes hardware, which includes Fitbit, uh, Google Nest Home products, Pixel devices. It includes, interestingly, I actually didn't know this, it includes YouTube non-advertising, 
Um, so in uh, subscription revenues from services such as YouTube Premium and YouTube TV, and then also other products and services. And then Google Cloud is obviously uh, all of their cloud-related stuff. Um, so that's a quick explainer, and we'll get into the stats now. So Google Search and other, so all of that Google advertising goodness, um, search reduced by 1.6% in the fourth quarter, which is quite right. interesting, the revenue from uh, search. So it went down to $42.6 billion. That's by far the biggest chunk of their their uh, revenue. Yeah. Then YouTube ads reduced 7.8% um, year over year. Google Network reduced 8.9% year over year. Uh, so overall, Google advertising as a whole reduced by 3.6%. And then beyond that, we also have that Google Other segment, which had growth of 7%. Cloud grew 32% in the revenue department, and Other Bets grew 25%. Interesting, they also note that uh, um, TS, what does TSC stand for? Uh, traffic traffic acquisition, acquisition cost. cost. Is that right? Yeah. That's correct, um, which are payments that internet search companies make um, like Google, they make to their affiliates and online companies for directing traffic to their websites. That was um, $12.925 billion, um, down from $13.427 billion. And interestingly, they noted their total number of employees uh, is up to 190,000 uh, yeah, 190, from 156,000. <laughs> so, geez, that's a lot of employees, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Um, interesting to see. Yeah. So, Google is also facing um, some of the difficulty that, that Meta's had um, just in the overall advertising industry. Uh, struggling throughout, um, especially towards the later end of uh, 2022, um, on the back of mm. a tough economic macro environment that uh, you know has gotten a lot worse than what we've seen in a long time, and businesses look to cut advertising first. So uh, it makes perfect sense mm. to before even we might see other businesses uh, start to cut other kinds of costs and, and that sort of thing. It makes sense that we, we're seeing the first bit of pain in advertising. Yep. Advertising, bang, didn't do so well. Search down, YouTube ads down, Google network down. And then you have the growth in Google other. So um, all those other um, hardware sales. So non-advertising stuff, it grew. Cloud, non-advertising, that also grew. So yeah, you're exactly right. It's just the advertising business that went down a little bit. Uh, in terms of uh, operating income, they came in with $18.2 billion versus uh, $21.9 billion in Q4 of last year. The operating margin fell from 29% to 24% year over year. So then next up, if we look at uh, the segment operating results, so we're not just looking at revenue, but we're looking at actually their operating results, so factoring in all their expenses. Um, so Google services, which is Google Ads and Google Other, um, that dropped by 23%. Then we had Google Cloud, which actually managed to halve its loss from $890 million down to uh, just a $480 million loss. Still a lot of money to lose, but still, it's getting there. Um, and then other bets uh, increased their losses by 12%. Mm. So you can tell once you just look at uh, when you actually look at operating results as opposed to just revenue, you can definitely tell what's critical to Google's business, which is their advertising business. Um, but interesting that that dropped 23%. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm very curious to watch Google Cloud. I've looked into this a little bit. Um, I, I certainly find it an area that I, I, I'm not quite sure what their, that business looks like over time, but 
Um, they're, they're, Google Cloud is a lot smaller than its kind of two biggest competitors, which are Amazon Web Services and, and Microsoft uh, and their cloud business. Uh, but on a profitability basis, Google is also a lot worse than both of those businesses. So um, mm. it's, it's, it's very likely that to catch up to those businesses, they're kind of investing ahead in terms of the infrastructure and, and the, the staffing needed. And a lot of the additional employees that they've gained, what did they gain? 40,000 employees or something recently uh, over the past year. A lot of that is going into cloud. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how quickly they can get that to profitability. And if those margins do get as good as like um, Amazon, for example, is I think three times the size and has like a 30% margin or something like that, which is really good. And yeah, Google Cloud um, is obviously not even profitable yet. So that'll be interesting to watch. It's interesting. They've they've got a ways to go, it seems. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, Okay, so that was their quarter, their fourth quarter results. Um, so, you know, mm, slow down, definitely slow down. Yeah. Uh, their full year results, I'll just quickly go through a couple of key stats. Their revenue came in at, two. get this, $282.8 billion, <laughs> <laughs> which is up 10% year over year um, or up 14% on constant currency basis. So, right. again, being hit with that foreign exchange impact. Um, operating income was $74.8 billion for 2022 versus $78.7 billion in 2021. So that actually came in with less operating income. And their operating margin fell um, from 31% to 26%. Now, I looked through their... Um, Maybe I'm maybe I was being had, having a dumb moment, but I looked through their actual uh, 10k, and you know how they give their impressions and paid clicks. They only had the 2022 whole numbers, the whole full year numbers. So we'll just I guess go off that. Yeah. Um, so they had impressions for 2022 versus 2021 were up three percent. Um, so You're not modest. huge growth, if yeah. I'm honest. Um, cost per. In- cost per impression was only up 1%. Right. So cost per impression really not moving. Then they had uh, paid clicks. How many paid clicks? That was up 10%. They know that, that was from an increase in search queries resulting from growth in user adoption and usage, primarily on mobile devices. It was also from growth in advertiser spending. I'm putting a big question mark next to that <laughs> because I just don't believe them. I just don't believe them. I don't understand. Um, and also improvements we have made in ad formats and delivery. That makes sense. Mm. Uh, the cost per click, so paid clicks up 10%. The cost per click was down 1%. And they say that was a result of changes in device mix, geographic mix, advertiser spending, <laughs> there you go, <laughs> ongoing product changes and property mix, as well as the unfavorable effect of foreign currency exchange rates. Yeah. So, like- mm, well, it, th- this is the problem, I think. It would be so good. I think you're right. I think they don't have a quarterly figure for the cost, the pay clicks and the cost per click, but we kind of need that because a lot of the slowdown has been just in this last fourth quarter. I mean, I think I think you said their yeah. full year revenue was still up 10% or 14% constant currency. It's really just the last quarter. Same with Facebook in the last couple of quarters, but it's really the last couple of quarters where that has shifted. So yeah, that, that being able to say growth in advertiser spend, I'd love to see if that was a, still a factor in the last couple of quarters, which I would guess it probably wasn't. Um, overall throughout the year, probably yes, but but throughout the quarter, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure about that. But um, mm. yeah, in, interesting to see, you know, the, their numbers relative to, to Facebook, which is seeing a much bigger increase in ad impressions, 
but actually a decline in the cost per impression. Facebook's going through this, or Meta, I should say, it's going through this big shift in the types of ads that they're providing and how many they can show, whereas Google is a little bit more of a steady ship where they're kind of just growing very slowly uh, the number of impressions, but there's also not much change going on in how much advertisers are paying for those ads. So Mm. interesting to see that dynamic. I feel like they're also more diversified in their ad formats and delivery versus company like meta which is yeah just pure social media yeah i guess like yeah yeah it's interesting um what else do they say in their report they said in january 2023 we announced a reduction of our workforce of approximately twelve thousand roles we expect to incur employee severance and related charges of 1.9 billion to 2.3 billion the majority of which will be recognized in the first quarter of 2023. So similar story. That's hey? insane. Similar That's story. That's actually interesting because they, yeah, they laid off 12,000 and had 1.9 billion and Meta laid off 11,000, so about the same, but had a billion. Uh, it was just under a billion. So it's actually interesting. Mm. Google's uh, severance is costing a lot more, uh, <clears throat> a lot more than, uh, yeah. than Meta's. But yeah, both of them are astounding. A billion, two billion in severance in a quarter is, uh, yeah, mm. wow. That's uh, it's crazy. Um, yeah, it is flipping bonkers. Um, what else do they say? As AI is critical to, to delivering our mission of bringing our breakthrough innovations to the real world, beginning in January 2023, we'll update our segment reporting relating to certain... Uh, relating to certain of alphabet... What is that sentence? We'll update our segment reporting relating to alphabet's AI activities... DeepMind, previously reported within other bets, will now be reported as part of Alphabet's corporate costs, reflecting its increasing collaboration with Google services, Google Cloud, and other bets. Um, Sundar, that was just from the report. Sundar said, quote, very soon people will be able to interact directly with our newest, most powerful language models as a companion to search mm. in experimental and innovative ways. Mm. And I think you've got something to talk about with this, don't yeah, you? So, yeah, so Alphabet reported last week, so that's what they said last week, and then this week, yeah, they announced uh, this uh, this companion to search, which is really just a kind of a reaction. Um, of course, it's something they've, they've probably had in the works for a while, but it is becoming public now as a reaction to... ChatGPT, OpenAI's uh, ChatGPT, which is uh, kind of taking the world by storm. It's kind of the uh, the thing that everybody is obsessing over, especially at the last couple of months. So, um, is that all you had for for Google's earnings? Should I jump into uh, Should I jump into talking yeah, about yeah? Yeah, the only other thing I was going to say is that the stock dropped four percent after hours. And uh, one interesting tidbit from the conference call: uh, YouTube Shorts now has fifty billion daily views. Fifty so. billion daily views. Wow. That's crazy. Mm. That's insane. That is, that is pretty flipping bonkers. Anyway, yeah. Um, so wait. So what did their stock fall? Their stock fell four percent. Well, there's a. They had another stock fall last night um, in relation to a very embarrassing mistake they made with the the, the uh, announcement of the this uh, this AI chatbot. Oh, really? So I'll talk about that. But first, I'll give a bit of context. So they uh, they announced they announced uh, a chatbot called Bard. Um, which is an interesting name. It's probably a better name than ChatGPT, yeah. but it's still not great. Couldn't they have come up with a better name than Bard? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's just like um, it makes me think of like Skyrim or something. 
Yeah, just the bards and stuff like that. Yeah, I anyway. don't know. Yeah, it's a bit bit strange. I don't really know what the what the vibe is there, but you know, sure, bard. We'll go with it. Welcome, Go- bard. Google bard. We'll um, go with it. And you're right; it is a better name than Chat GPT. Yeah. Remember when that came out? Like, what the Chat GPT? What GBD? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> terrible name. Terrible name. GDP. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, no, so yeah. we we didn't get too much information on Google's new service but they demonstrated it in a blog post and they gave some examples of it being used and um, it looks like in the future they're planning on implementing this into google search essentially at the top before normal search results so you know how at the moment sometimes you ask a question and it does actually give you a bit of a blurb from maybe their best yes. their best site but it usually is just literally word for word uh, a paragraph from maybe the top search result Whereas now that section will essentially be the AI giving you a, a description like chat GPT does, which would ultimately right. be better um, than just grabbing a paragraph, which often just has the keywords in it and doesn't actually tell you the answer that you're looking for. You usually have to click into the website to do that. So um, yeah. that seems like a pretty natural uh, way for it to be implemented. It's of course not going to replace doing your own searching online, but uh, it, it can kind of complement um, your searching and, and help you get to certain answers faster. And uh, it looks very similar to ch- chat GPT, although we it's not open to the public. So we, we no one can like do a side-by-side test to test information right. or answers. But um, over time, it, it will likely become, will very likely become public. So we'll be able to do those comparisons. Um it was really funny. So they didn't. They ran an advertisement uh, a couple of days ago, or actually, sorry, it was yesterday. They ran an advertisement and uh, about this new AI chatbot. And they in mm. in the ad they showed the bot getting an answer wrong, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. They they asked the question about the James Space Telescope and. Uh, they they got mm. something wrong about which telescope was the first to take a photo of the solar system or something like that, uh, which right. is very funny. And the stock, as I was alluding to earlier, the stock fell 8% after this advertisement ran, erasing <laughs> $100 billion off the market cap what? of Google. So Come on. Whoever uh, did, that, uh, did that mistake, I'm sure, is getting a nice severance package. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> oh, that's you'd feel you'd feel bad. Was so was this like a live thing? No, no. no. So it, it was live. just an ad, and it it was basically just showing classic Google ad where it's just someone types out an ad, a, a question, and then it gives an answer, and it just so happened that part of the mm. answer was wrong, <laughs> and no right. one really checked so, it. No one fact checked it. So there's no proof checking. Yeah, there's no proofreading no. of the ad, and they just aired it, and then oh, actually, oh, sorry, yeah. yep, oh. Yeah, so um, an embarrassing mistake. I mean, yeah, it's uh, obviously I think hundred billion. We 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 all know that th- these chatbots they're they're interesting, but they're not they're not perfect, and that they're obviously making both ChatGPT mm. and this Google one will make a lot of mistakes. So um, it's not like mm. you know, uh, it's very interesting. I find because there's because their language models, because their language and their phrasing and their sentences are very very good. It when you read it, it just makes you believe yeah, it. Yeah, it's more convincing. Like it's very convincing. Like you just read it and you're like, oh, okay. I didn't know that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Because it uses big words and it, you know, says the numbers so confidently. It's it's not just like it it'll never tell you, um, look, don't hold me to that, but it just says what it thinks. And it's crazy because that's like the you can apply those same principles with people. It's usually 
people can say things incorrectly, but if they say them very yeah. confidently, yeah. <laughs> then other people tend to just believe them. Yeah. Because they sound so confident, so sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that is very interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and this uh, comes kind of at the same time as Microsoft also this week announced that they're planning to implement ChatGPT's capabilities into Bing Search. So you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, Microsoft added to their investment in Chat in uh, OpenAI. Um, I think they added, what, $10 billion investment. And part of that is, of course, they're going to be using the, uh, the, the features of ChatGPT in Bing. So... Um, I really hope Bing doesn't work just for the fact that I don't want people to be like, oh, I'll just Bing it. I like saying, I'll just Google it. I don't, I don't want to live in a, I don't want to live in a world where Bing is like a word that I hear a lot. Bing is a bad word. That's not a great word. That, that's, you know what I mean? Like it's just, <laughs> oh, go Bing that. No, that's, that's terrible. Yeah. That's, that's, t- don't please. <laughs> or change the name. Maybe they can change the name to something else. Maybe, I just, I don't, I don't like it. I'd probably do that. It's probably worth it because every, it's just a, a laugh. It's like laughable. It's an embar- it's an embarrassing like platform yeah. at the moment. You'd want to like take it down, repackage it with this new Chat GPT stuff, and then release it as something new. Yes, that's what that's how I would do it. Yeah, not try and save Bing's reputation, which is already in the mud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's horrific. So, yeah. but that'll be interesting. So, we're, yeah, we're getting finally getting a little bit of innovation in chat, uh, in 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 search. Um, which we haven't had for a very long time uh, with Google just kind of making little minor tweaks here and there because it's been so good. But this is kind of a leap forward yeah. in this technology for the for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I think it's going to be really cool. Next few years will be really cool seeing it be uh, integrated properly into search. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Looking forward to it. All right, dude, um, you want to talk about... So that was Alphabet mm. and all that's going on there and also a bit of chat GPT stuff. Let's talk about... Uh, Disney. Yeah, let's do Disney. Uh, so yeah, this can we please this uh, <laughs> this this came out last uh, sorry, this morning. Uh, it came out, and I was listening to the conference call, uh, which uh, had some uh, Bob Iger was back on the conference call. Of course, he's uh, he's back at the helm. Uh, so it was interesting to Ooh. hear some of his further explanations of some of the things that he'd been he's been talking about recently um, in in the changes he's going to make to Disney to get it back on track. Uh, but before that, uh, revenue came in for the quarter at $23.5 billion, which was up uh, 8% year over year. So continuing to grow their uh, their massive media and uh, parks empire. Uh, of course, uh, we can talk about kind of two key segments which they have. Uh, one is media, entertainment, uh, distribution, and the other is parks, experiences, and products. Uh, so we'll start with the, the media and entertainment, which represents the majority of their business. Uh, revenue for media and entertainment came in at $14.8 billion, up 1% year over year. So pretty flat for their uh, media business. Uh, and uh, it was if we look at the different segments, uh, there was quite a different story in, in different segments. So you had the linear networks revenue down 5%. Uh, and then you had direct-to-consumer or their streaming up 13%. And then you had content and licensing, which was flat. So um, those are the three main bits that go into their business. Content was flat. Linear mm. continued to decline and streaming continued to grow, which is kind of what you would expect uh, given that, that is what you would expect. Uh, people are you know, canceling their, their, their cable subscriptions. So they had lower affiliate fees and lower re- uh, advertising revenue um, and, and direct-to-consumer continued to grow. Uh, in terms of direct-to-consumer specifically, uh, revenue came in at $5.3 billion, which was up 13% year over year, as I just mentioned. 
uh, in terms of their different streaming platforms, which so I'm sure what everyone is interested to hear about, uh, Disney Plus subscribers reached 161.8 million, which was down 1.4 million mm. subs during the over the quarter. Uh, ESPN Plus reached 24.9 million subs, up 0.6 million subscribers quarter over quarter. Hulu, uh, and this is a combination of uh, live TV uh, and just normal Hulu subscriptions, came in at 48 million, which was up 0.8 million subscribers quarter over quarter. Uh, And uh, essentially what happened was um, they really had flat growth or or pretty modest growth with their subscribers in the US and some of their main markets. Uh, And uh, in their hot star Disney plus kind of Indian customer base, which has been this, you know, huge subscriber base for them, but paying very little, they did a massive price increase uh, and they lost a, a, a few subscribers there. So that kind of represents um, right. kind of what's happened, but on balance uh, throughout the entire year, the the streaming platform and during the quarter, the streaming platform continued to grow revenue. So um they essentially were able to squeak out a little bit more revenue from um, from from increasing their prices on on their Hotstar customers. But yeah, certainly their right. certainly their subscriber growth uh, was very muted <laughs> in the last quarter. Definitely, uh, I think they had. Uh, That's sorry. What were you going to say? I was just going to say it's very interesting too. Comparing, well, they're kind of in a similar boat now to um, to Netflix, where subscriber growth is kind of. I don't know if Disney will, if it'll change for Disney, depending on what they do in the future. But yeah, we know that Netflix is kind of like neither here nor there with subscriber growth at the moment. Yep. Um, but I was just looking before Netflix total subscribers as of the fourth quarter of 2022 was 231 million. So there's still quite a gap: 231 million versus Disney Plus 161.8 million. Yeah, and so, and, and I mean, even subscribers doesn't even tell the whole story either. I mean, it, it, as I said, Disney's most yeah. We always talk about this, don't yeah, we? Like, like yeah, like most of Disney's yeah. subscribers is uh, people paying, I think, less than a dollar per month. Um, in, yes. in, in India. So yeah, the subscriber number is is catching up to Netflix, but in terms of total revenue, they're, they're still quite a, a way off. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I. I thought that this would happen um to a lot of these streaming companies because um and i think netflix kind of just felt it a little bit earlier which is that it's a tough macro environment uh you've got increasing costs of everything and uh subscribing to multiple streaming services is just not a necessity so it makes sense that people Mm -hmm. might look to that uh to cut and uh yeah it's i'm a little bit surprised that disney plus is struggling to grow even in the US. I don't think they added any subscribers in the US and they only have about half as many subscribers as Netflix in the US. So that was surprising to me. But the overall slowdown to, to me doesn't really reflect that Disney is in a is doing particularly poorly. I think it more reflects the the challenging macro environment. The macro. Yeah. Yeah. No, I tend to agree. Um, the D2C uh, actually, their, their D2C segment lost $1.1 billion in the quarter, uh, and they said that they're going to try and be profitable by um, financial year 2024, uh, which is the next financial year because they they run one ahead um, if they meet their targets. So they, they sandbagged the hell out of that by saying that they have to meet subscriber targets, their content goals, and all of this stuff. But that's what they're kind of <laughs> aiming for in terms of uh, <laughs> in terms of getting there. If we hit every single one of our goals, 
then we will be profitable. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of... <laughs> oh, our goals are to double our amount of subscribers and, and triple the revenue raised per user, but, you know... <laughs> yeah, it, oh, it was just... It was hilarious. On, on the, the way she just said it on the conference call was so funny. She was like, yeah, we're going to be profitable by 2024, but remember that this hinges on us hitting subscriber goals, our content hitting our goals, on macro environment and inflationary pressures. Like, she listed, like, 10 things, and it just sounded, yeah. just sounded like... She she was not like they're not confident at all that they're going to actually be able to yeah. uh, hit that. But anyway, that's their goal uh, going forward. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about media um, with the conference call stuff. But just quickly, uh, the parks experiences and products segment continue to do really well for them. $8.7 billion in revenue, which was up 21% year over year from higher volume and higher uh, and increased uh, guest spending. Um, so that continued to be a, a beast for, for their business, especially while the media segment is... Um, kind of going through this transition. Uh, it's interesting. They announced a, a new segment going forward, revenue segment, which is going to be to separate ESPN into its own operating segment alongside the other two existing uh, segments. And uh, I was thinking uh, exactly what someone asked on the conference call, which is, are you looking to maybe, are you preparing this maybe to spin it off or to sell this sports mm. part of their business and just focus on, um, you know, more drama focused and kids content, um, uh, you know, um, rather than kind of this, this yeah. sports segment, which has been increasingly getting expensive. I just said no. Um, but of course that's what he would say. Uh, so before yeah. there's a deal on the table or anything, I would not be surprised if, if that's, uh, the route that he's going, um, because otherwise I'm not exactly sure what the rationale doesn't... is for segmenting out sports mm. into this kind of separate thing. Doesn't make sense. So hang on. So that'll be a, a new revenue segment. Yes. Is that yeah, right? So they, they completely so it'll be separating media it. and entertainment distribution. Yep. It'll be parks, experiences, and products, and then it'll be ESPN. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's just so, odd. Yeah. Somehow I'm not buying that's just this odd story, because yeah. it slots in. It's it's media and entertainment distribution. That it's in there. It's clearly that's yeah. Cl- and. and- why would you take it out of yeah, there? Yeah, his argument was that it doesn't, it's like it is different from kind of the film and TV that they produce, which it is, but uh, it doesn't deserve its own revenue category where all you're operating. You've only got two. Yeah, like why, why would you go to the effort of separating the financials of this business if uh, if there wasn't some other exactly. particular reason? But uh, we'll see. Maybe over the next couple of years, we'll kind of see if that happens. But um, given Iger's recent commentary on on reshaping the business, it wouldn't be surprising if they did some spin-offs and some some um, selling parts of their business. Uh, just quickly on uh, the conference call, there was a bunch of interesting stuff. Uh, they, they spoke about uh, taking Disney back to a return to a focus on creativity. Um, so he wants to give creatives in the business more control over the distribution and sales decisions to kind of reconnect the creative work with the financial performance. So that'll be interesting to see how that works in terms of changing how they distribute content going forward. Uh, They said they're going to cut back on general content and focus more on curated, higher return on investment franchised content. So things like Marvel and Star Wars, big budget stuff that has higher returns for them. Uh, They also noted that by focusing more on curated content, they'll actually have more capability to produce content for third parties, which is exactly what Warner Brothers said just a couple of weeks ago about doing more licensing and content sale to other distributors like Netflix, for example, um, as, as kind of an avenue of producing revenue. They actually said they might bring the dividend back at the end of the year, which is funny because it was yeah only a couple of weeks ago that uh, 
who who was it um that uh, that activist investing firm was having a go at them for cutting the uh for, for cutting the dividend yeah. um the name is uh, I'm blanking on the name uh of that firm but uh that was really interesting to see them say we're going to bring the dividend back um <laughs> I don't know if they're in the position to do that either it's kind of um yeah it's kind of a difficult spot oh look it's probably just the old grandmas that just want their dividends. Oh, I've always got my my dividend from Disney, and now it's gone. <laughs> Bring it back, please. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. So it's so it's so it's such a dangerous game. I don't know dividends. Like, yes, we get the rationale of when you should pay a dividend versus when when you shouldn't. You know, if you can, you know, if you've got better uses for that money by re- reinvesting it back into your own business, then don't pay a dividend. Just don't. Yeah. And then if you, on the flip side, if you're a super mature company and you don't have any good uses for it, then sure, give it give it to me and as a shareholder and I'll go put it somewhere else where it can grow into more money. But you're right. It's just the psychology. Dividends are so, so psychological. Like yeah. once people start getting them, they get used to getting them. And then if they don't get them, then it can cause just Armageddon people being like, all right, I guess Disney's not paying me my <laughs> retirement dividends anymore. Yeah. Guess I'm guess I'm out. ExxonMobil or Chevron, here we come. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting. So, that, yeah, we'll, we'll see if they pay that. I, I think it's pretty unlikely they'll be in a position to pay a dividend, but they're claiming that they will be. So, um, we'll see. The, probably the at least for me it was the funniest part of the conference call was um, f- to give context up until this point in the conference call the stock in after hours was up eight percent and then uh, he got a Iger got a question about the future of media and streaming and, and he essentially said streaming is the future which is what he said all along but that it's not producing the same profitability as linear which is kind of this declining business so uh, he's essentially kind of admitting that they're going to they're losing this linear business over time and it's not being replaced at the same rate as streaming they're actually coming out of this right. uh less profitable it was just funny as soon as he said that the the after hour stock price just plummeted right off oh, a cliff no. uh, but uh essentially he gave a little bit of context into how they're going to handle this he thinks that linear and theaters will continue to produce some monetization for for a long time and a big part of this is that a lot of the older audiences so the 60 plus are still very much using linear and, and also going to theaters so that audience is not hasn't moved over to streaming yet uh, so they can still access that audience and still monetize it uh uh, so essentially they're saying they're not going to abandon kind of these old uh, methods, um, but it's going to be kind of a part of this blend strategy going forward with with linear, with doing more third-party licensing to other platforms, uh, and then and then their, their streaming services. Um, so yeah, a uh, lot of interesting discussion. There was way more that um, I, I didn't mention. So if, if you're curious about this kind of stuff, then I recommend checking out the conference call. Um, uh, nice. Yeah, very interesting. Very good. All right. Um, shall we keep things rolling? Yeah. And I'll just quickly talk about this US jobs report and this Jerome oh, yeah. Powell interview. Uh, it's not that interesting. Well, some of it's interesting, actually. I shouldn't downplay it that much. <laughs> um, the jobs report was interesting. Um, so this will give us context before we talk about the interview. So um, the jobs report for January was released over in the States and it, definitely surprised people 
the labor market is just very, very strong at the moment. So non-farm payrolls uh, increased by 517,000 for the month, shattering analysts' estimate of 187,000. <laughs> Yeah, five hundred. What? That's five hundred seventeen thousand new jobs. And to put that into context, uh, the, in two thousand and twenty-two, there was an average monthly gain of four hundred one thousand. Wow! So it's even it's it's smashing that average. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, certainly caught analysts by surprise. Uh, so the unemployment rate fell to 3.4%, which is the lowest since May 1969. So unemployment in the US is is very, very low. Um, they had uh, also neither here nor there hourly wage growth of 0.3%. Um, although this news technically can be taken poorly, it's great for, you know, people, but it can be taken poorly as well because it gives the Federal Reserve a little bit more freedom to hike interest rates without, you know, without worrying too much about it. Yeah. Um, Powell said it himself he didn't think that it would be that strong. Mm. Um, so we may as well move on to what he did say in this interview. He, it was an interview at the Economic Club of Washington, D.C. Gosh, doesn't that sound like an exclusive elitist club <laughs> the economic club of washington dc <laughs> oh boy oh what's that you have a net worth of less than 10 billion dollars you can't come in i'm sorry when, when, whenever when, yeah whenever i hear something like that and you give quotes on this stuff i'm always just imagining like a bunch of dudes just like sitting in a cigar lounge like, like oh mm. yes so jobs came in a <laughs> little bit higher yeah. than normal <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I imagine a very you know diverse group of people. I think you'd probably get every single different type of sixty-year-old white male <laughs> in that room. Uh, It'd be remarkable. Probably, probably. <laughs> anyway, uh, what did he say? Uh, quote: The disinflationary process, the process of getting inflation down, has begun in, uh, and it's begun in the goods sector, which is about a quarter of the economy. The central bank chief said during the event, um, but it has a long way to go. These are the very early stages. And then asked whether it would uh, have influenced the Fed's rate call if the jobs report uh, came out before the policy meeting. Powell said, we don't get to play it that way, unfortunately. He said, if the data shows that inflation is running hotter than the Fed expects, it will mean higher rates. Quote, the reality is we're going to react to the data, Powell said. Quote, so if we continue to get, for example, strong labour market reports or higher inflation reports, it may well be the case that we have to do more, uh, that we have to, that we have, what? That we have to do more and raise rates than what is already priced in. Yep. That sentence doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. He has to increase interest rates. <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to read that. Yeah, I think um, maybe there's some that's, well, typo grammatical error in there. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we, yeah, we've spoken about this a couple of times, but yeah, a, a month ago, the expectation in the market was really, really it was two 25 basis point rate hikes for, for this year, <laughs> which is which mm. is nothing. And we've already had one. We just had one last week. We spoke about it. Uh, and yeah, with inflation still hot, with, um, with the labor market really hot, then it, it I think it's pretty... It wouldn't be surprising at all if they did quite a few more rate hikes above uh, what is already baked into the market. So, yeah, I think uh, I think it's going to be another interesting year where the market thinks, oh, everything's all good and just runs off. 
and then maybe it's not quite good yet, so the market comes back down. Because remember, you've got this whole stock market, especially of institutional investors, who are just trying to catch the bottom of this this and, and the start of a bull market. Uh, so yeah. that's why we've had this run-up in the last month so quickly because everyone's thinking, okay, this is the bottom. Let's get in. And if we you know we get some negative news, it'll go back down again and we'll just have this kind of volatile up-and-down market until there really is a, a sustained trend in one direction or the other. So, mm. uh, yeah, that's just that's just kind of what's what's playing out both in the US market and in the Australian market with interest rates and inflation. Yep. Yep. Jerome said, uh, we expect 2023 to be a year of significant declines in inflation. It's actually our job to make sure that's the case. I'm, I'm glad he realizes <laughs> that. <laughs> Good one, Mr. Uh, my guess is it will take uh, certain... My guess is it will take certainly into not just this year, but next year to get inflation down to close to 2%. Our message at the last meeting was this process is likely to take quite a bit of time and it's not going to be smooth. It's probably going to be bumpy and we think that we're going to need uh, to do further rate increases, as we said, and we think that we will need to hold policy at a restrictive level for some period of time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's a story. It's a non-story because he's basically saying if inflation is high, then we're going to raise rates. If inflation goes very low, then that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Mind blown. Great insight, Jerome. Great insight. Um, no, but... Um, but yeah, it, he was... Sorry. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. All, all I was going to say, it is kind of crazy that the rates have gone up so quickly and there hasn't really been a, a reaction, at least so far in the market. I mean, we've seen... We saw Facebook and Google's earnings and businesses are pulling back their, their advertising spend. But we haven't seen, you know, uh, that, at least I haven't seen it shift into other businesses yet um, in terms of their, their revenue. Um, they're trying to save, uh, mm. they're trying to cut costs because inflation is hurting their profits. But in terms of their revenue and, and demand for their products and services, I haven't really seen it come off yet. So, uh, but, you know, that's really surprising given how much- We've seen like plateauing? Up. Yes, but we haven't yeah. dunk, seen that. Maybe it's any maybe it's gonna be like a, it's gonna be a soft landing. It's gonna be no recession. <laughs> maybe Hamish. This will be the one time. But no, that's a good yeah. point. You haven't re- we haven't really heard any like oh revenue was down ten percent or something like no, that. No, or revenue yeah. was down fifteen. I I, I yeah. looked at um sorry sorry cut cut you off. Uh, I I looked at Chipotle. I think it was yesterday restaurant company. I think mm. their revenue was still up at eight percent or something like that. So, yep. you know, that that's where I would expect to start to see it. Okay, people are not going out as much anymore. Okay, people are not buying cars as much anymore. Like, I, I would expect to see it in, in some of those areas. Uh, but yeah. and, and here and there I've seen it, but not at a, at a, in a broad way, which is really surprising, um, at least so far. Um, do you want to keep rolling on into this RBA rate decision stuff? Yeah, yeah. So, we got... Uh, yeah, sure. Back over in Australia, um, we, uh, we, of course, had the Reserve Bank of Australia give its decision on interest rates. Um, and this comes after, of course, another record inflation figure in Australia. So everyone kind of knew what was coming, which uh, was, uh, in the end, a 25 basis point uh, increase in the official cash rate, which is our official interest rate here in Australia, to bring it to 3.35%, the highest level in just over a decade. Um, so we, we've been doing rate hikes pretty consistently, but at a much slower rate uh, than, than the US. Uh, so our rate's a lot lower. Uh, to give some context as to how this will affect mortgages as these rates are passed on by the big banks, uh, a $500,000 loan will see a $76 
uh, per month uh, increase. Uh, which, and in total, since the start of these rate hikes, a $500,000 loan has had an increase of $908 per month added to the mortgages. Uh, for a million-dollar mortgage, the increase this month is $152 per month. Uh, and in total, it's $1,816 since last year, which is yeah crazy uh, how a relatively small number of rate hikes can have such a dramatic impact, uh, especially in something like um, housing. Uh, 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 Philip Lowe uh, said in his press conference, the governor of the RBA, he said, uh, the board's priority is to return inflation to target. High inflation makes life difficult for people and damages the functioning of the economy. And if high inflation were to become entrenched in people's expectations, it would be costlier to reduce later. The board is seeking to return inflation to 2 to 3% while keeping the economy on an even keel, but the path to achieving a soft landing remains a narrow one. So essentially there's a... Thanks, Jerome. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, Philip. Yeah, it sounds exactly the same. Well, that's actually funny because, yeah, Powell in his meeting just a, just a week ago said the same thing. They don't want inflation expectations to get entrenched. Uh, so essentially, if, if they don't do enough now, people will start to expect high inflation and they'll start purchasing more mm. now, which is just a vicious uh, flywheel of, of people spending more now, more inflation, therefore people have to spend more money now. And it just goes on and on and on. So they're trying to prevent that by mm. getting on top of it now. Um, and uh, it was interesting to say that they think a, a soft landing is unlikely. And a bit of evidence to support that um, was uh, I, I found in an article from, uh, I can't actually remember where it was from, <laughs> but uh, I read an article and uh, it said that 800,000 mortgages will be switching from a low fixed rate to a 6% or higher variable rate this year. Um, so there's there's a, there's a lot of mortgages coming off this year. We've, we've been talking about this for about a year now. Um, these two-year, yeah. three-year rates that were set in 2020 and 2021, there's a lot. And that's going to cause a big drop. Uh, and it's going to be kind of like a, a cliff in a way for people's household income because yeah. it's not progressive. It's all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's going to be a big increase for a lot of people. Mm. And that will very likely, we would expect to see that ripple out into a lot less spending in other areas, so less business revenues, layoffs, and so on and so forth. So balancing that with inflation is why that's the narrow kind of uh, path that that the RBA is walking on now. In that it's it's very difficult to balance those things, especially when there's such a delayed effect between the rate hikes and the effect in the economy. As as we said, Australians are on these two year fixed rates, so there's a bit of a delay yeah. uh, with with how this comes through. But once it does, we'll, we'll kind of see you know how the how, how everything kind of plays out. But um, yeah, unfortunately, our infl- inflation rate just isn't going down, so the rates just have to keep going up. That is such a crazy stat, though. That is such a crazy stat. 800,000. There's only, what, 25, 26 million people was, in yeah, Australia I was, I was total. say, yeah. <laughs> just for context. And so, of, yeah, we're, we're a small country. So, yeah. that's a lot if you're outside. We are a small so. country in terms of population. Yeah. Um, 800,000 mortgage holders will be switching from a low fixed rate to a 6% or higher variable rate in 2023. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And Watch the housing market, everybody. Let's go. Yeah. And, and for, you know, to give maybe a bit more context on that. Uh, the average uh, two-year fixed rate in 2021, so the ones that will be rolling over, was uh, about 2.2%. Uh, so, or 2.2 2. 2 to 2.7%. So, if if people were on those rates, they're going from 2.2 to 2.7% to 6% or more. 
if they go into a variable mm. rate or higher if they go into another fixed rate. Uh, so it, it is a big increase, and and w- w- yeah, we'll see how it how it plays out. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, there's not really much the Fed can do. They're kind of at the uh, not the Fed, the RBA, because they're kind of just at the mercy of the inflation that um, you know is the aftershock of the pandemic and other things going on around the world. Yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy. All right, Hamish, I think that's all we've got to talk about for today. Yeah. Okay. Um, do we have any Q and A questions? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll ask you one. Um, I'll ask, I'll ask sure. you this first one. Uh, Brandon, your course on Profitful was created quite a while ago. Uh, so, would you think of refreshing it? It was, uh, given that you now know much more about the subject uh, than you used to as well. Uh, that's why mm-hmm. I'm wondering whether to buy it now or wait for something new. Um, without <laughs> letting too much out of the bag, <laughs> the answer. Will will we be refreshing it? Uh, yes, we will be. Um, but that's about all I will say for for the time Tell being. Us your it is a plan. long pro because th- this is the thing. Okay, this is the thing about these courses. I don't mind if someone wants to if someone wants to make a course because they've learnt about something and you know they can share that knowledge. I- I'm all for that. A lot when you get to the personal finance space, investing space, and you look at all these different personalities and they have their courses, a lot of these courses cost a lot of money and they're also very, very bad. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason they're very bad is because the the person behind the course is not thinking about how can I make the best course possible. What they're thinking about is how can I make the most money possible in the shortest amount of time. Yeah. So I'll, and I'm not going to name names or, or, or yeah, call anybody out, but um, I've, I've heard when I remember um, somebody launched their course and I remember them talking about it. It's like, I've been working on this for the last three weeks. (laughs) I was like, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? You're, you're going to ask someone for like a thousand bucks and you've worked on this thing for three weeks. Something doesn't. So, No, exactly. Something doesn't add up. So, yes, we are refreshing it. Um, we are not taking the approach of making crappy courses, selling them for thousands of dollars and trying to maximize our profits and minimize our time spent on them. So, for those that don't know, we actually have a post-production team that's sitting actually behind the camera. So, we are going through and refreshing all of the content and producing it very well. We want it to essentially feel like you're watching masterclass, but for investing. And so that is a long process and it will still be a long way away, but we are doing it. We are going to do it. Just patience. <laughs> we just need to- <laughs> Takes time. We just need to get it done. But, you know, take you know take comfort in the fact that we are doing it right. We want to make the, the best courses on investing on the internet. Hands down, no one can even- argue with us on that fact yeah so yeah you've definitely got the team for it it's coming yeah we've, we've got the team we're still building out the team um now it's just a matter of getting it done hmm. uh okay do we have another q a question hamish um, i don't know if we've answered this one i can't remember oh gosh i can't uh, remember if we've answered this one already uh, i don't know either i'm not sure um i don't know do you want to? I think we answered something similar last week, but it wasn't that question. Okay. I don't yeah. believe. Let's just, let's just do it again anyway. 
All right, we're just going to do it again. Sorry if we've already answered it. Hey, guys, I've been picking stocks for two and a half years now and have been following you for about one and a half. Thank you for the great videos. Since starting, I've been studying stock market investing like crazy, reading about the great value investors and their methods, but I'm torn between two methods. Owning a basket of 20 to 30 stocks based on quantitative and qualitative metrics or owning a semi-concentrated portfolio of 10 stocks based on in-depth analysis. Uh, I like reading about companies, but since I have a full-time job and a marriage to maintain, I feel like studying stocks is taking too much of my time. That's totally understandable. I can definitely understand that. I don't want to invest into index funds because uh, picking individual stocks makes me feel more in control. I don't think I have the nerves to own only 10 stocks, but owning 30 stocks uh, makes me feel like I don't fully know what I own. Yeah, Hamish, how, how? What are your thoughts on this? I think, I mean, I think it's What's first imp- imp- important to say there's quite a lot of differing opinions on uh, how much diversification is necessary in different portfolio structures. There's yeah. certainly not a consensus on how to do it, and and so I, I encourage you to to read from from a variety of different uh, investors, value investors, more traditional in- institutional investors, and, and figure out what makes the most sense for you. Um, I can kind of give you an insight, and I will in a second, on uh, kind of what I've learned about this sort of stuff. But um, but there is a lot of varying opinions. Uh, someone like Michael Burry- Hashtag not financial advice. Of course, not financial advice. But uh, you know, someone like Michael Burry and the general kind of value investing consensus is that about 10 to 15 stocks seems to a portfolio of 10 to 15 stocks with in in uh, uncorrelated in different industries tends to be enough to reduce the market risk anything beyond that um you're essentially really just adding more risk uh in terms of the individual picks you're choosing because you're spending less time on them so that's kind of the 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 general kind of value view on that um but so, 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 you know, following that, you would kind of say beyond, uh, you know, a reasonably diversified portfolio, 10, 15 stocks or something like that, an index fund where you're completely diversified uh, and, and eliminating the risk of the individual companies would make the most sense. But I certainly... Um, I certainly appreciate your your perspective of wanting to be in control. And for me, that means I, I have a combination of index funds and individual picks in my portfolio so that I can... Mm you know, concentrate on a few individual stocks and not be too spread thin between 20 or 30 companies. Uh, but at the same time, I still benefit from the diversification of, of participating in the US market or the global economy or something like that. So that's how I um, kind of think about it. Well said, um, But uh, But th- there's certainly a lot of disagreement on that. So I encourage you to, to seek yeah. out other opinions and, and make your own mind up. Yeah, and you can definitely, you can even look at the... Yeah biggest investors in the world and some of them hold five stocks some of them hold 30 stocks some of them hold hundreds of stocks so this this is this is one of those topics where it just depends on who you're talking to what what they'll say the only other thing that i'll kind of bolster from from what you're saying is that you just got to make sure that you understand every stock that's in your portfolio so but you're right. You maybe if you can only understand two stocks, then you do start asking yourself, "Well, geez, am I diversified enough?" But I I tend to gravitate towards what you were saying as well, Hamish. Even if there's only, you know, two, three, four stocks in my active portfolio, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent active. I'm not just an active investor. I've also got, you know, I've got twenty to thirty percent of my portfolio 
sitting there passively in index funds. So it's, you, you, can't, you can get the be- best of both worlds in, aspe- in that aspect. You don't necessarily have to be an active investor, full stop. You don't have to be a passive investor, full stop. You can blend those two together, um, which is what we do. Yep. Um, but yeah, for me, even thinking about 10 stocks, I'm like, geez, can I really, am I really like keeping track of them as much as I should be? Yeah. There's 10 different companies there. So yeah. even that number for me is like, oh, geez, oh, I feel like maybe that 10th stock that I believe in, oh, I haven't checked it in a few months. Oh, am I really up to date with everything that's going on? So I don't know. Yeah. But again, that's just me. Not financial advice. Everybody's going to have a different viewpoint. So hopefully our viewpoints can can maybe give you more context as to what you feel like works for you better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in this week. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, feel free to head over to the YouTube version of the podcast and, and, and leave us a comment on the latest episode. Uh, or if you're on Spotify, then it's even easier. Just scroll down and you can ask a question right in Spotify. And uh, we will uh, grab as, as many questions as we can and, and answer a couple on next week's episode. But uh, thanks as always for joining us. And hopefully everyone's having a great rest of your week. And uh, thanks, Brandon, for, for joining me. And thanks to share site as always for sponsoring but with that said uh we'll see you guys next week so see you later guys see you later